0: Israel has a long reputation as being proudly the only democracy in the Middle East. Is that about to change? I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. He's not breathing. Can you get a pulse? Barely.
1: There's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. People don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dig- dignity of man.
0: In a New York Times article, January 16, 2023, the headline was Israel moves right at a dizzying speed. Has something really changed there? Our guest on Keeping Democracy Alive today, James Zogby, writes in The Nation A far right Israel is Zionism without the frills. The subtitle is The Election of Benjamin Netanyahu's Right Wing Coalition Should Serve as a Clarifying Moment for the political Zionist movement, and for its enablers. It's always been controversial, since its official beginnings with the Balfour Declaration in 1917, and especially with its Declaration of Independence in 1948, establishing the first Jewish state in 2,000 years, for many in my parents' generation, Israel was a dream. At last, a safe place for Jews arising out of the unspeakable horrors of the Nazi Holocaust. As our guest writes, it promised an alternative for Jews in which they would be free to realize their full potential as a people, practicing the values and fruits of liberalism and a home of their own. Boy, that does sound good. But that dream, that aspiration, and it has been more of an aspiration, has also been experienced as a nightmare for Palestinians. Throughout its history, there have been various wars between, on one side, Arab states and Palestinians, and on the other side, the state of Israel. The state of Israel may be geographically a small country, but it has been huge on the world stage. The struggles between a pro-Western, heavily militarized state and great numbers of its indigenous Arab population are hardly new. But what is new is that there is yet another government with Benjamin Netanyahu as prime minister, despite the fact that he's now on trial for corruption and the concessions he has made to the extreme <coughs> parties and individuals. It is indeed a dizzying speed at which Israel has moved to the far right. What does this radical shift mean for the region and for the long-standing, unquestioned support for Israel from the United States? And what are the implications for worldwide support for justice for Palestinians? With us today is the author of that article from The Nation, uh, the title being A Far-Right Israel is Zionism Without the Frills. Our guest is James Zogby. Jim, thanks so much for being with us and keeping democracy alive.
1: Thank you, Bert, for having me.
0: Uh, Jim Zogby is the founder and president of the Arab American Institute and was a member of the executive committee of the Democratic National Committee from 2001 to 2017. Boy, we could talk about that experience for a long time, but we won't. sure
1: could. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's a curious title for your essay, and I'm sure that was the intention. The title, again, A Far-Right Israel is Zionism Without the Frills. <laughs> What do you mean? What what frill?
1: Oh, okay. I can't claim credit. <laughs> right. Title that's the was, nation. I know. was the nation. Yeah. My article was originally entitled The Mask Is Off. Yeah. And what <laughs> I, what I was intending to say, pretty much the same thing as the the implied in the in the nation headline is that in from its very founding, um it was uh, Zionism. Look, let me, let me say in the beginning that there were multiple forms of Zionism. There ah. was a mm. Uh, a religious Zionism that was uh, um, not the religious Zionism of today, which is a far right movement. But back then, it was a spiritual sense that you know the ingathering of the Jewish people was a, a religious experience that would bring them to their homeland. Mm-hmm. But there was not the sense of being a colonial movement. There was also uh, a cultural Zionism that was Ahad uh, Ha'am, uh, who was uh, a believer in. Uh, you know, discussions, reconciliation, cooperation between Arabs and Jews, uh-huh. and that the experience of being culturally a Jew would fit with the cultural experience of of being a, a, a tolerant and and uh, an accommodationist movement that would work with the indigenous people of the land. Um, Martin Buber was the religious Zionist uh, back then who who taught that. Arabs and Jews were equal and had to mm. reconcile their faiths uh, and live together uh, in a cooperative spirit. But the political Zionist movement at the time was uh, was not accommodationist. It was uh, we are, as Herzl argued, uh, a civilized experience of Europe coming to the barbaric Middle East, and, uh, where the the people were were savages uh, and had to be tamed. Not unlike the way American pioneers saw, actually the early Zionists called Palestinians Red Indians. Uh, they were to be cleared from the frontier so that they could make way for the people um, who needed freedom and needed a chance to grow their their new country. Uh, it wasn't an accident because Herzl actually sought out Cecil Rhodes um, oh to, to learn how do you do it. Um, and the idea was that and it was you know it was to be expected, look, this was the period of colonial expansion in Europe, and the you know they were Britain was a liberal democracy, uh France was liberal, um and they were at the same time exploiting the hell out of native people who they saw as less than themselves mm-hmm. uh, and were there uh in order to serve. The white race. Mm. Well, Herzl had the same mindset. Max Nordau had the same mindset. All of the early founders had that mindset. And so they combined, like the American colonists, like the British, like the French, etc. They combined a sense of um, being a white liberal race uh, destined to govern with their religious sense that where do we govern? We govern in the Holy Land, the place that was promised to us thousands of years ago. And now the British had signed it over to us. Right, um, And <laughs> the Balfour declaration and Lord Balfour is interesting because Woodrow Wilson for all of his flaws, and there were many, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he was an arch racist here in America, but he articulated after world war one, this notion of, of self-determination that the colonies that had been, the Turkish uh, colonies mm-hmm. uh, or, or lands that had been freed should have the right to self-determination. And so he, he actually sent over the very first team to poll in the Middle East, the King Crane Commission, um, who came back with, they don't want mandates. They don't want to be governed by the British and French. They don't want to be divided. And they don't want a, a Zionist colony in their midst. Balfour said, the aspirations of the indigenous people mean nothing to us. Mm. More important is the role that Zionism will play um, in our future. And so that was the very beginning of it. And uh, and it hid their racism, their sense of the right to dominate over indigenous people. Mm-hmm. They hid that behind a liberal facade. That, that when I say the frills are gone, the right. facade is gone. It's just not there anymore, and people are seeing it as uh, as something quite different. Liberals, as late as just a, a few years ago, were talking about the importance of a two-state solution yes. because of the demographic time bomb by which they meant too many Arabs being born, um, which is kind of like... It, it. Can you imagine somebody in America saying there's a demographic time bomb because there's too many people of color coming here and too many blacks and Latinos being born. There are people who say it, and we know yeah. what they
0: are. Uh-huh.
1: Uh, but it was acceptable to say it in the Israeli context until recently. Now it's not. And I think, thank God, we're, we've we made progress on that.
0: Wow. So without the facade, interesting. And it I, I do find it amazing how the First World War is like at the root of so much you know the yeah. the the empires that 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 there were and the whole idea of dividing up the uh, barbaric world for these yeah. civilized countries Ugh. anyway before netanyahu's latest return to power liberal and centrist parties in the state of israel often cooperated you know there's so many parties there unlike uh, the uh, united states now the liberals and the centrists are on the outs. People like, mm-hmm. and I hope I pronounce this right, Yair Lapid, the centrist yeah. opposition leader, and others appear to be spooked by the prospect of the loss of Israeli democracy, which it's always mm-hmm. prided itself on. What are we hearing about the liberals and the centrists? Would that come under your category of, of a facade? or I mean, well,
1: they, Look, when, when Lapid and his coalition were in power. In terms of the way Palestinians are being treated, the way the occupation was going, very little difference between that and what's happening today. There, I think that we'll see pretty dramatic changes in the next couple of years with Ben Gavir and Smoltric and others uh, who are extreme, extreme. It's like you know, putting Ben Gavir in charge of the West Bank is like putting David Duke uh, in charge of state police uh, or the border border patrol, um, but but uh, but because uh, Lapide, uh, who I believe uh, had a, um, a, a, I think he was liberal in his heart, but like a politician, he had to include. Uh, rightists in his coalition. And so Mm -hmm. he deferred to them on settlements. He deferred to them on uh, invading uh, and and provoking Arab villages. He deferred to them on land confiscations and home demolitions. And so in the end, the policies were no different. When I say the mask Mm -hmm. is off, it's like you get this really handsome, you know, sort of uh, maiden central casting uh, Israeli prime minister, uh, Lapid, um, who spoke the liberal game, and I think, like I said, felt it in his heart, even though he did the same things that Netanyahu's doing and deferred to the right in every instance. And Biden gave him a pass because he'd say, you know, if we go after him and attack what he's doing in the West Bank, we'll bring Netanyahu back. And so he got, you know, Lapid got a, uh, a pass from the U.S. Um, that's not there anymore, and now it's exposed, and people will see the, the policies for what they are because of who's practicing them. Um, but I, 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 and I think the role of the U.S. in all of this is absolutely imperative to consider because yes. this drift rightward has been going on for decades. Mm. Uh, Rabin had to face up to it and, and, uh, and deal with it because he knew that they could make real trouble because his coalition was a very fragile one um, as well. As, uh, just like Lapid's. He wouldn't have been prime minister if the Arab votes in, in the Knesset hadn't supported him. And so the right wing in Israel at the time always said this is a minority government, meaning minority in that it was a minority of Jews um, right. uh, because it had Arab support. So that's been a, a story from the beginning, but increasingly because the U.S. did so little to rein in these rightward policies that both uh, labor, liberal governments and liquid conservative right-wing governments put in place, it empowered the right. Like a spoiled child, you know, he does something bad and you say, there'll be consequences, I don't want you to do it, but they keep doing it and they say, guess what? They're not gonna do anything to me, why don't I just keep doing it? And that's what's been going on. Settlements at the time of Oslo maybe 140,000. Today it's 700,000 Whoa. and still growing. Uh, they more than doubled during the first eight years of of, of Oslo. And so the, the result of the right was they said, you know what? The, the, nobody's going to do it. Like Netanyahu said, I know how to control them. I know how America works and I know how to control them. And he did. And so uh, the right has grown. Meanwhile, the peace forces in Israel uh-huh. have totally shrunk because they've had no external support. Um, uh, the right has gotten external support from Democrats and Republicans alike in Congress. They've gotten increasing support from the, the Christian right. Oh, yeah. Uh, they were fueled by Bush, uh, fueled by Trump, tolerated by Obama, who tried a couple times and then backed off. Um, and so, Today, it's almost impossible to imagine a majority government in Israel that would include people who want to have a just and and, and 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 lasting peace based on equality and rights for both Israelis and Palestinians. And the Biden administration is fooling itself when it says, you know, we support equal measures of democracy, dignity, prosperity, et cetera, because they know damn straight that that's not in the cards. Um, mm. And unless they do something to challenge the policies of the Israeli government and have them pay a price, a consequence for bad behavior, that's just going to continue. And it's not serving the Jewish people, certainly not serving the Palestinian people, mm. and it's not serving the cause of, of, of peace.
0: Wow. Uh, there's so much to talk about here. And it's you know obviously been going on, uh, well, for well over a hundred years, the facade of cooperation of you know a, a democracy, including everybody, including the majority of people who are in uh, the geographical area now known as uh, the state of Israel and the uh, the territories and the settlements. Our guest today is uh, James Zogby, who is founder and president of the Arab American Institute. And uh, he's written an article that The Nation, titled Far-Right Israel is Zionism Without the Frills. We're talking about where it is now under the new far-right government. No pretenses, no pretenses anymore. They're a minority. Well, like the United States these days, we have uh, a minority of the far-right in power in Washington. And you mentioned... This fellow that I, frankly, don't really know much about, Itamar Ben-Gvir. He's the minister overseeing the Israeli police. Yikes. Uh, he's, as I understand it, he has a history of being openly anti-Arab and a provocateur. And his mentor was M- Mayor Kahani. Now, not everybody remembers him. Tell us about Mayor Kahani and uh, Ben-Gvir, please.
1: Kahan has the distinction Of being one of the few people who have been declared a terrorist both by the united states and by the government of israel they removed him from the knesset for his violent anti-arab rhetoric and actions here in the u.s he was the founder of the jewish defense league uh which i know because they one the first death threat i got came from them back in 1971 um and they attacked my classroom uh, thank God there were a number of, of black students in the class who, at Temple University, who, uh, when, the, when the JDL kids showed up, they marched to the door and sent the, the JDL kids scattering. Um, uh, but, and then firebombed my office in 1980, uh, murdered Alex Oda, uh, a, a colleague of mine who ran the Anti Discrimination Committee in, in California in 80. Uh, five um, and um, and look, I mean they were on the FBI terrorist list because of their murder of Jews. Um, um, hmm. the I forget his name Saul he was the the empresaria who would bring cultural groups um, I forget his name darn it. he was lived in that his office was in Manhattan and he was bringing over the Moscow ballet uh, and they objected to it. And they uh, bombed his office and killed a secretary. And there were a couple of other instances where they killed Jews who were not sufficiently um, anti-Russian. At, this is the time of, uh, save Russian Jews. Um, and so th- they earned them their place on the, the terrorism list. There were 16 uh, acts of violent terrorism that they conducted uh, in the 80s. Um, that got them on the list. Kahan left the U.S., Uh, went to Israel, ran for Knesset, won um, after a number of acts of violent provocation. He was removed from the Knesset, came back to the U.S., and was assassinated here. Uh, Ben Gavir uh, used to wear a shirt. Kahan was right. Um, He had a picture of another Kahan disciple um, uh, who was the person who carried out the massacre of 29 Muslim worshipers at the mosque in Hebron uh, in the mid nineties. And um, uh, so he's has a, has a, is a basically a bad guy. Yeah. Um, and he was arrested uh, a number of times by the Israeli police for his acts of incitement in Jerusalem. Um, and incitement with settlers in other places and um uh there's a real question as to whether or not you know somebody convicted of of racist incitement should actually be in the knesset but certainly (laughs) a question as to whether or not said person should now be in charge of the border patrol and the police governing in fact all of these actions in the of the the israeli military authorities in the west bank that's it's a really provocative role uh, for him to play and um and dangerous really dangerous
0: amazing i don't think many people are, are aware of that as i said i had not heard of this ben gavir but uh wow there's a lot we we need to learn about what's going on there and how how far to the right they have really moved in, in uh, the state of israel and of
1: course, well, and I think the, I think the problem is too that that because I mean, look, if you go into the the Jewish uh, peace groups here in America mm-hmm. from J Street and move to the left to you know groups like Jewish Voice for Peace or right. or Breaking the Silence and 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 Bend the Ark and others, I mean. These guys get it; they know it; they follow it, and they've been speaking out against it. But um, but when you get into the more establishment right. uh, groups like APAC or American yeah. Jewish Committee, etc., they're they're upset. Um, and unfortunately, the quote unquote opposition in Israel's upset. The demonstrations there have largely focused on internal um, Jewish upset, Israeli upset over the direction of the Netanyahu government. They're concerned about the conversion laws. You know, who can, who can be considered Jewish? They're concerned about, um, uh, LGBTQ rights, uh, because one of the people in charge of of religious affairs is a total anti homophobe. Um, I'm I'm sorry, a homophobe that was redundant and actually contradictory. He's a homophobe. Yes. Um, and, and concessions made to the ultra-Orthodox on education, on budget, on a whole range of other things. They're concerned about that, all of which are legitimate concerns. I mean, this is, you know, uh, but, right. but exclusively focused on that without being focused on what has been the corrosive mm. issue that has led Israel down this path, which is the sustained and, as I say, corrosive impact of an occupation and dehumanization of another people. Mm. That's fundamentally wrong. And that is, I think, where the peace movement in Israel has always had uh, a difficulty. Um, mm. They have not been as inclusive uh, in dealing with Arabs. I remember one of the first talks I gave was a debate with an Israeli general in the 70s at an American Friends Service Committee event mm. Um, um he, Matty Pellet was his name, and he was one of the leaders in the Israeli peace movement back then. But they excluded Israeli Arabs, uh, Palestinian citizens of Israel, from the movement. And I asked the question, how can you build a peace movement without 20% of the population represented? And he said, it's a Jewish issue. Um, and that sense that it's a Jewish issue and not an Israeli issue not a an issue of the entire people of the state right. has always plagued that uh the the liberal side of of zionism that it was a matter for us to deal with not a matter for for them um uh, yeah. and so israeli citizens who were of palestinian uh origin and um and identity um have never been fully included uh, as partners, and that's I've been a problem.
0: Yeah, think. Oh, my. <laughs> it's been a problem. Yeah, to exclude uh, uh, people who, I mean, when it was first created, you know, back in the around the time of the First World War, uh, my understanding was, and I don't want to get into this too far, but that there was a thought that Israelis and Palestinians, the Jews and Palestinians. Would would live together? They they both have roots there that they would live together. Uh, that hasn't exactly happened. That
1: they, was the cultural Zionism I spoke of, and that yes. was the religious Zionism of the form that it took back then. It was never the the the. the it was never in the cards for political Zionism. So, um, so and it, political Zionism uh, ultimately eclipsed those other two, nope. um, and has become the dominant. Uh, the, the exclusive thread of politics in Israel today.
0: Wow. And you talk about politics in Israel today and in the United States, uh, Netanyahu and President Trump seem to get along pretty well. Uh, he was uh, cheer, cheered on by his by Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. Trump uh, very much supported moving the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem and you know that's kind of faded from the uh, uh attention of the people right now but that's that's still a, a, a big issue i would think I and mean, what about this the, the power of jared kushner and the far right alleged christians in the united states had a yeah. big big Influence on on U.S. policy in Israel, they you know it was the supposed to be uh, where the rapture came from. Uh, yeah, talk yeah, about- <laughs>
1: they I call them anti-Semites for Israel. They uh, they want <laughs> the Jewish people ingathered um, so that they can all convert, so that they can bring on the second coming of Christ, and with that, the final battle that will bring about the end of the world. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a really <laughs> Healthy philosophy for, I mean, it's. Yeah, I I, yes. I used to say I want a president who wants to save the world, not one who wants to blow us up. But um, I, I, I dare think that Trump didn't have a uh, doesn't have an ounce of ideology in his in his mind at all. Uh, certainly, yeah. uh, uh, well, it just supporting him. I don't him. believe Kushner. I don't believe Kushner did either. I think these were opportunists. Oh yeah, and certainly don't discount the the role that 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 the Adelson's played uh, in the amount of money that they were pouring in. I mean, he actually claimed um, that he, he was the one who, who got Jerusalem uh, recognized by Trump. And that, I, you know, I think that, that that courting of the, the Adelson's and, and his, his colleagues, coupled with the role of the religious right, which provided Trump cover every step of the way yeah. um, is, is I think accounts for, for the policy and is the, the uh, you know, Dermer, Ron Dermer, who is um, not foreign minister, but is going to be acting as foreign minister in Israel, um, famously said, uh, Israel can't count on the Jewish community uh, for support. They're divided and all over the place. Uh, our allies are the religious, the Christian right, um, and that has been something that uh, Netanyahu and his his, uh, his colleagues. Uh, Netanyahu is one of the conservatives, and that wedding between neoconservatism and the the evangelical right, and neoconservatism. If you look at its worldview, is nothing but a secular um, iteration of the. Of the religious right they believe in a manicheistic world of, of good and evil of the ultimate triumph of good of the need for the two to to clash and fight and good will triumph um and then bring in the 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 in the christian it's the final days in the neoconservative it's it's hegemony of the the democratic west over the rest of the world but uh netanyahu is a an architect of that Vision, and uh, and remains uh, wedded to it, and so his allies are the neocons in the U.S. and the the Christian right. They're not the Jewish community, um, and APAC doesn't quite get that for their own reasons. Um, but that's that's kind of where we are.
0: The APAC, the I guess I don't know if they've actually changed what the letters AI. Uh, PAC stand for, but it's gone from being a, a public affairs committee to a political action committee, and their power in Congress is is tremendous, actually. And uh, they, they, are uh, I, I don't know if anybody's uh, standing up to them at all, but uh, and there's been the whole, obviously, you know, the concern about. Criticism of Israel, so many people, including, I mean, I'm Jewish, and people uh, of my faith uh, oftentimes confuse, uh, maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally, uh, criticism of the state of Israel with anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is this, I mean, one of the things that I've i have been proud of for being uh, Jewish in America is that Back, you know, during the civil rights movement and anti-Mormon, so many different things. We've been, you know, for justice and against racism. And here is the state of Israel uh, doing, uh, frankly, Zionist racism and doing tremendous injustice. And, and when, when the violence and the attitude, the, the uh, Jewish supremacism, you know, white supremacy gets criticized a lot here in the United States, and you know, I mean, it's it's now the the mask is off, as you say, it's open. You know, Zionist Jewish uh, supremacism, uh, and and I wonder about the effects of this on on anti-Semitism. There've been attacks in, in in France and a lot of different attacks across the world, uh, and I wonder about. Uh, if some of the attacks on on Jews are related, maybe I'm off the wall here, but I wonder if they're related to the 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 blatant uh, racism that happens in, uh, in the state of Israel right now, and I wonder about the effects of this on, uh, on anti-Semitism uh, across the world.
1: Well, I think we have to disaggregate a couple of things. One is, anti-Semitism is real. Yes. It is uh, uh, it is dangerous, um, and it um, uh, and it has long plagued uh, Jewish people around the world. I
0: mean, no question, not not yeah,
1: yeah. just pogroms and the Holocaust, but the continued uh, discrimination against people because of their faith, or the the, the defamation and negative stereotyping. I did a paper. Uh, Vidal soon invited me to a. Yeah. Uh, Hebrew University conference on on, uh, on anti-Semitism, and I talked about the political cartoons at the time of, of Arabs um, with the big noses and right. uh, holding the money bags and, you know, lusting after white women and all the things that were said about Jews, those caricatures that were so hostile and made Jewish people young kids in america ashamed of their looks or of their uh, their religion and identity and cause people to change their names etc that yeah. was happening to arabs as well and so it's real um and uh and painful and it does have you know, look we've had attacks on synagogues uh, oh, and and almost all of that is unrelated to israel and and i find that you know the ADL wants to has been wanting to equate them for for decades. They called it the new anti-Semitism, attacks on Israel, and blah blah blah. They've now painted it into the uh, as a hallmark of the left of liberals, um, and their anti-Israel mindset has now spurred uh, anti-Semitism. And they what they do is they they use polling data which they do not disaggregate. They do not separate out the demographics to show that anti-Israel sentiment is rising and anti-Semitism is rising. And they make the equation. The interesting thing is that I've looked at the polling data and anti-Israel, meaning critical of Israel, Mm -hmm. meaning criticism of Israel is increasing on the left, on the, on the liberal side, Mm -hmm. but anti-Semitism is increasing on the right. And so they don't want to call right-wing anti-Semitism the problem. They want to call being anti-Israel the problem. They've become shills for Israel and not defenders of the Jewish people. That, I think, is the important distinction to be made here. And uh, uh, and so, anti-Semitism is fundamentally wrong. It's evil. And there are times that criticism of Israel will lean over in that. If you say, well, you see what Israel's doing. Well, that's because the Jews are the way they are. Um, caricaturing the Jewish people, trying to type an entire group of people by a negative characteristic or by any characteristic. You know, Jewish people are smarter. Jewish people are are, are, are stingier. Both of those are, are kind of anti-Semitic because they take a caricature, whether it is a good one or a bad one, and type an entire class of people. Some Jewish people aren't so smart. Some Jewish people are very generous. You know, and it's the same on the, on the Arab side. Arabs are this. Arabs are that. Right. Um, it's not. It's racism to take a character, a, a characteristic, a race or ethnicity or religion, whatever, and then type an entire group of people by that character. Uh, that's wrong. But saying that Israel is pursuing apartheid policies against Palestinians—that's not racist. That's talking about a government policy. Just as saying slavery was a practice that was not only tolerated by but protected in the United States doesn't make me anti-American. Just saying reparations are owed to the victims of slavery doesn't make me anti-American. Just like saying Russia had gulags and today is persecuting political dissidents doesn't make me anti-Russian. Saying that Iran is persecuting women and holding them back. Uh, from ex- exercising their natural rights as human beings doesn't make me anti-Iranian or, Persian, or an yeah. Islamophobe. It makes me somebody who is an equal opportunity critic of people who violate rights. That Israel is an apartheid state practicing policies that dehumanize and discriminate against Palestinians, that has two systems of law, one that protects one group and one that violates the rights of another group. Wow. That's, that's a policy issue. That's not saying anything about the Jewish people. If I said they're doing it because they're Jews and that's what Jews are like, that's anti-Semitic. Right. And you have to, it's its not required to have a, a fine tuned ear. It's just to think about it. Am I talking about a policy or am I talking about a people?
0: Mm.
1: And what the ADL says is, well, Israel is the only Jewish state and it's the homeland of the Jewish people. And so if you attack it, you're attacking Jews by definition. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, in fact, know that's not the case. Um, and just like saying, you know, <laughs> Hamas commits atrocities and Palestinians have been involved in terrorist actions doesn't make me anti-Palestinian. It makes me a critic of policies pursued by some groups and uh-huh. some individuals. Yes. There's a distinction. It's not a very—it's that it's one that requires people to be clever. It just yeah. requires people to— to damn think. But what is happening here is the ADL has been engaged now for decades in demonizing critics of Israel. Um, I was called anti Semitic for that reason. I was excluded from political coalitions. Democratic Party people wouldn't talk to me in the 80s mm. because of my position on supporting Palestinian rights. Um, and mm. candidates gave money back. Oh. um, Etc. And my life was threatened. I mean, there are people, three people have gone to jail in just the last uh, 15 years for threatening my life. Um, and my family lived in fear. My kids were tormented in school. Um, mm. That I, I, I know what this is all about. I know how this works. And I think it's important that we clarify terms um, and not simply play the game of, well, you've been critical of Israel and therefore you're this. Because there are consequences to that. Um, and the people who threatened my life threatened my life because they said, you're anti-Semitic. Uh, you hate Jews. You want Jews to die. You're responsible for the murder of Jews. I, I'm somebody who has been critical of Hamas and critical of Hezbollah and critical of terrorism and has written publicly about it um, it's just unfair and it's dangerous. But the effort is to silence critics. And so you have, what, mm. almost 30 states right now um, where if you uh, support boycotting right. Israeli companies because of their policies, you're banned, you're criminalized, you're <laughs> sanctioned. Um, yeah. it, it's an effort to silence discussion, silence criticism. It's not an issue of of anti-Semitism, while protecting Jewish people. It's an, it's an effort to silence discussion. And does it create resentment? Sure it does. I don't think it creates anti-Semitism, but I think it does create resentment um, and a sense that there's an overreach on the part of groups like the ADL and the American Jewish Committee. Um, and I think that the reactions are deeply felt in the Jewish community <clears throat> as much as they're felt elsewhere.
0: Well, as you can imagine, uh I have been called a self-hating Jew. I don't like mm-hmm. I do not like that. I am not I think they are right not to like it. <laughs> oh. God, self-hating jew it's yeah. just because i I criticize policies and actions of the state of Israel mm-hmm. oh my and it sounds like uh, uh, Jim you've you've talked about this issue a little bit before it's not like it 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 comes to you as something new but we're talking about uh, here on uh, keeping democracy alive uh, we're talking about what's going on currently, what the new reality is in the state of Israel. The mask is off. Our guest today is Jim Zogby, founder and president of the Arab American Institute and former member of the executive committee, of the Democratic National Committee from
1: 2001. I'm still a, a a, still a member of the Democratic National Committee. I'm just not in the executive uh, committee anymore.
0: Well, and, and yeah. when I was in 20 20- years now. In 2016, when I was a delegate to the Democratic National Convention, uh-huh. I remember seeing on the floor, there were Palestinian flags. And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, justice. Yeah. We're for justice. We're against racism. We as Democrats. What's changed now, something has really changed. And it's starting to make the headlines. Maybe people are becoming more aware now that the mask is off, that that it's, it's like they've moved to the far right. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. what are the most important aspects of any democracy is that it has an independent judicial system mm-hmm. something has changed there tell us please about the new government's plans for changes in the judicial system in its power uh, as opposed to the power of the government and the uh, independent judiciary
1: it's a big deal because uh, frankly with a very selfish motive Netanyahu has three major indictments against him (laughs) for everything from really banal and petty corruption to very big-time corruption and influence peddling. The banal one is his wife uh, confiscating the returnable deposit bottles from parties at the prime minister's home and turning them in and keeping the cash. When they stayed at Blair House, three big bags of laundry that they brought from Israel to have the... U.S. government pay for it and not that. I mean, it's silly stuff. But then there's big stuff. Some of them are pretty serious issues. He doesn't want it. He wants the attorney general reigned in and he wants the courts to not have the absolute say. He also has people in his like the court today just ruled one of his ministers can't serve because he is a convicted felon for corruption Um, that will conceivably impact his coalition if the head of the Shas party is 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 removed uh, from the from the cabinet, the Lord knows what he'll do with the with the rest of his coalition, and will they continue to support the Netanyahu government uh, if he actually is out? And Netanyahu is afraid of being convicted and then also being ruled ineligible for service, so he wants to get rid of the role of the courts and diminish them and put them uh, at the mercy of the majority of the Knesset. So uh, mm. that's part of the, the reason. It's just a question of survival. But a democracy doesn't survive based on the, the need to survive of an individual um, who, wants to, who sees himself above the law. And I could imagine, actually, if Trump were reelected using the majority that he might have in Congress to do the same things, to, to try to overturn courts and rule of law. Uh, to protect his own personal interests and stop him from being prosecuted for the the many crimes, both petty and really serious, that he's engaged in. And there, but that's what's going on in Israel right now.
0: And there have certainly been battles here in the U.S. between the legislative and the judicial. And the far right in uh, America has decided that well, elections are, are difficult. They're expensive. You don't always win, but but less visible is packing the courts with their right wing judges, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and that's one way of of getting their agenda into reality. And mm-hmm. that's rather anti democratic with a small D democratic. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it seems like, I don't know, I mean, one of the big changes that's happening in Israel now, why this is a, such a big moment, is that uh, if the judiciary is not just for the protection of Netanyahu and, and his gang, but uh, for laws in Israel, it's, I would think, important. I, I believe in an independent judiciary.
1: It's, absolutely. It's, a, it's, a, it's the hallmark of a democracy. Look, democracy isn't just who wins the election, right. but it's whether the winner respects the right of those who lose, whether it's the winner works to achieve some kind of coexistence, cooperation with those who lose, not tries to destroy and Uh. demean and diminish those. I mean, that's the basic problem. We have a saying, um, actually my son is the one who has used it. Republicans are carnivores uh, and Democrats are vegans. Um, They get eaten alive by the, by the carnivores. Um, It's because as Democrats, we play nice. I mean, we uh, passed uh, Reagan's tax cuts. I mean, I don't always agree with what we did, but we we worked out compromise and passed Reagan's tax cuts. We passed Bush's tax cuts. We passed some of his most insidious overreach laws like the Patriot Act. Republicans are going to bring down the government as they're doing right now, yes. saying that they're not going to pass uh, raise the debt limit. And, and why is there a debt? Does it have something to do with tax cuts that we never paid for, that it has something to do with an Iraq war that has cost trillions that we never paid for because at the same time that we were doing that, we were going to war, but at the same time, passing tax cuts, that added trillions of dollars to the debt. Republicans aren't going to claim that they're going to want to get rid of social security. They're going to want to get rid of Obamacare. They're going to want to get rid of uh, funding for education. And that's the danger. Uh, is that they don't play nice, and they don't know how to cooperate. They can't even cooperate with
0: each other. Yeah. And look at what they just did. Oh, my goodness. Um, you bring up a quote from an old friend of mine, Abby Hoffman, who said, the relationship between the right and the left is perfect. The right is sadistic. The left is masochistic. It works okay. out, it works out yeah. perfectly. And yeah. one of the things I, I, I have to ask about, too, is the uh, the... 2018, the Israeli parliament approved—now, I know this is three years ago—Jewish the Nation-State Basic Law. And what that does, as I understand it, is enshrine Jewish supremacy over Palestinian citizens. What about—I mean, we've heard about the settlers going into the West Bank and and just taking land, uh, which reminds me, of course, of uh, the settling— so-called settling of the west in in uh, the currently united states mm-hmm. uh, what about what about that law what way is is it significant and how what what might be as, as we sit here in this in this moment of uh, where the facade has gone the mask is off how will life in the settlements on the west bank be affected do you think a by that law and b by uh, the new uh, power of the far right in the state of israel
1: yeah look the the well, one is supposed to believe that the nation state law only impacted the Palestinian citizens of Israel by diminishing their role um, and not saying Israel is a state of all its people, but it's a state of just the Jewish people. And that is something that in practice has existed since the beginning, but is now caught in the nation state law. Um, look for the first two decades After the creation of the State of Israel, uh, the Arab citizens uh, lived under military rule and were subjected to the emergency defense laws that when they had initially been put in place by the British in the 40s, the Jewish leader, who later became attorney general of the State of Israel, wrote, no such laws existed in Nazi Germany. They were onerous, they were repressive, and... They initially targeted Jews on the part of the British who were they were fighting against uh, the the British rule and they wanted independence. Mm -hmm. But then were immediately adopted by the new state of Israel uh, and imposed upon uh, the Palestinians until the 67, right before the 67 war. After the 67 war, those same laws were put in place in the territories. And so this has always been a feature of two systems of law, one for the Jewish people and one for the, the, the Arab people. The nation state law codifies that. Uh, Israel doesn't have a mask to hide behind. Oh, yes, we respect the Arab citizens, blah, blah, blah. They don't. But in the case of the territories, they were supposed to be governed as occupied lands, according to the Geneva Conventions, there are rules that are imposed upon the occupier. The occupier may not uh, remove people from their properties. Mm. The occupier may not re- send his own, uh, their own people uh, into that territory to occupy it or to live in it, uh, or to seize its resources. They may not uh, deport or expel people from the territory, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Israel has never honored those, what are called the Geneva Conventions, with regard to territories occupied in time of war. Now, the ambiguity of this being occupied territory, which Israel has always claimed is actually disputed territory, that ambiguity is also gone. It is de facto annexed. Mm. Uh, Israeli settlers uh, are governed by Israeli law, not by uh, the civil administration that israel has established there um, they have infrastructure provided by israel they're connected by roads by yes. water by electricity um, they are governed as israeli citizens they vote in elections so you have a de facto annexation and a therefore apartheid regime where one half of the people living between the jordan river and the mediterranean sea are jewish Another half, slightly more than a half, are non-Jewish, Arab-Palestinian. You have two sets of law, one that favors the Jewish side and disfavors and disempowers the Arab-Palestinian side. Uh, And that's the definition of apartheid, is a system that is um, Jim Crow, that has one Mm. set of laws for one group Mm. uh, and another set of laws that are onerous and repressive uh, that govern the other group
0: and the mask um, as you say the mask is off now and it's it's really it's uh taken a turn with the election you know with the with the hard right the far right in power yeah. uh, and you know the US has been sending i mean you talk about the US debt and the deficit we spend i mean unbelievable amounts on on so called defense and we send Israel a lot of money every year and I wanted to ask if there might be change. Uh, you know, I, I noticed at, at the World Games recently, Palestinian flags were, were often flown uh, mm-hmm. in in the face of this new rightward shift in, in Israel. I, I wonder, with this worldwide awareness of the unmasked shift to the anti-democratic hard right, you ask... Can the U.S. continue to supply Israel with billions of weapons and other forms of aid when it's clear that these weapons and aid are being used to maintain an occupation and the oppression of a captive people? So I'll ask what you ask. Now that the mask is off, the the West may finally be able to deal with Israel as a normal state that can be criticized and called to account for violations of laws. Do you think the rightward shift uh, that's that's becoming so much more aware in the world— Is this a possibility for a change uh, in in the U.S. policy? Uh, Is there any hope of that? Your thoughts, Jim Zogby? Um,
1: What there is clearly is a shift in public opinion, Uh and clearly a shift in public opinion among Democrats, and a public opinion shift among American Jews. Liberal Democrats, um, more than two to one, support Palestinians over Israel. Uh Overall, in the general public, Israel still has the edge, largely because of Republicans right now. Um, Young people, Blacks, Latinos, Asian, liberal Jews um, have developed a very clear sense. They will say, I support Israel, but they do not support Israeli policies. And that's true for Republicans, who are opposed to Israeli settlement expansion, who are opposed to policies that take place in the West Bank um, and Gaza and East Jerusalem. But Congress is at least three decades behind huh. where public opinion is. And, uh, uh, and their silence is the result of intense political pressure from interest groups, not Jews only, but on the one side, groups like AIPAC, who I believe don't represent Jewish opinion anymore. No. And the religious right, yes. who certainly don't represent Christian opinion but represent a segment of Christian opinion that is highly organized and powerful. Those two forces combined uh, have taken the toll. Look at the work that APEC and Democratic Majority for Israel did in the in the last election. Tens of millions of dollars spent to defeat progressives in Democratic primaries. Right. Um, they defeated Andy Levin, whose family is long-standing supporters of Jew- Jewish uh, rights in America and, and Israel. Uh, Andy Levin because he put forward a resolution that got the largest number of Democrats ever supporting resolution, supporting Israel, supporting aid to Israel, but also calling for consequences if Israeli behavior toward Palestinians continued. That was too much. APAC called them anti-Israel and spent right. together with Democratic majority for Israel so much money to defeat him. And they did the same with Summer Lee, she won. They did the same with Cory Bush, she won. They did the same with uh, Rashida Tlaib, and she won. They win some, they lose some. They won one here in, in, uh, in Maryland, where an African-American woman who had been in Congress, who, who lost, left the House, um, ran again this time, uh, they spent $6 million to defeat her. The interesting thing was, they never raised the issue of Israel. You had an ad, this person's not a Democrat. This person is a critic of Joe Biden. This person is too radical for Congress. Um, never mentioning Israel, but then the little thing on the bottom, supported by Democratic majority for Israel. They wanted to defeat progressive opinion, the changing opinion, but they were too cowardly to go at it head on. So they attacked the progressives, because they were progressives, just like Democratic majority for Israel spent millions against Bernie in 2020, mm. never saying his position on Palestine or his position on Israel. They said he's too old. He's a socialist. We'll lose down ballot races if he's the nominee. Mm-hmm. And that was the attack line they used. They're like the little Dutch boy <laughs> who's got his finger on the dike. But the dike is is holding right now. But is is the fundamental of- brewing uh, behind the dike and and i see public opinion shifting dramatically i see public opinion in the jewish community shifting dramatically toward justice toward equality toward rights for both but apac didn't get the message refuses to get the message and they're doing everything they can to sort of you know like the little kid who has his fingers in his ears going, I'm not listening, I'm not listening. But they're going to get buried by this because ultimately uh, liberal Jewish voices are going to take control of this debate. And I think we see it happening.
0: And and because the mask is off, because they move so blatantly to the far right, maybe this is an opportunity that people will see what's behind the mask. Jim Zogby, thanks so much for being with us today. If people are interested in finding out more about uh, what, what you're writing and the uh, Arab American Institute, there must be something on that Internet thingy. My
1: website is jameszogby.com. Uh-huh. It's easy. Or the institute that I run is AAIUSA.com dot org aaiusa.org or they can follow me on twitter and that's jjz 1600 no i have no pretense to be president (laughs) uh it's just the address of my office and and they'll see not only my columns there and my political musings about the middle east and about america and about lebanon and my criticisms of all of them but they'll also see um my lovely portraits of flowers and trees as they come to bloom oh, uh, this spring. I just love to follow nature and uh, and observe its patterns. Uh, daffodils are already out here, if you can believe it. Oh, um, wow, nice. It's been very warm, but anyway, please. I, I hope people will follow, and thank you, Bert, so much for this conversation. I really enjoyed it.
0: Thank Take you, care. Jim Zangi. Thank you. <laughs> We're like busting like